0: Hello, and welcome to Probable Causation, a show about law, economics, and crime. I'm your host, Jennifer Doliak of Texas A&M University, where I'm an economics professor and the director of the Justice Tech Lab. My guest this week is Anita Mukherjee. Anita is an assistant professor of risk and insurance at the University of Wisconsin-Madison's Wisconsin School of Business. Anita, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Today, we're going to talk about your research on how heat affects violence in prison, but before we get into that, could you tell us about your research expertise and how you became interested in this topic?
1: Sure. Um, well, my research is broadly on understanding underappreciated risks that vulnerable populations face. Um, so within that, my research is focused on two streams, uh, one in household finance and one that's more of today's conversation on public policy related to health and crime. So I have several papers on prison policy, in part because I think the risks that people face in this setting are not even well understood. Like what is the risk you'll go to prison, go to a private or public prison, what the conditions will be, what kind of violence you might experience. And all these matter a lot in how we deliver punishment through the criminal justice system, and especially in thinking about unintended sources of variation in the process. So for this project specifically, I was actually presenting my work on private prison contracting at Cornell when I mentioned that heat, is one of the things that you know matters a lot in Mississippi for the prison environment. And later I had a conversation with Nick Sanders, who's a, a professor there. And uh, he and I started talking about the effect of heat on crime because climate change is just making everything worse, especially in prisons that have all this outdated infrastructure. And he had this interesting angle because he does all this cool work on environment, like the effect of pollution, lead. I know you two have a paper on the effect of sunlight on crime. And so... Uh, so really, the, the, this paper was born out of that seminar presentation and subsequent collaboration.
0: I love it. So your paper is titled, The Causal Effect of Heat on Violence, Social Implications of Unmitigated Heat Among the Incarcerated. As you said, it's co-authored with Nick Sanders. And in this paper, you consider how hot days affect inmates in Mississippi prisons. So none of the prisons you're studying have air conditioning, which of course means those prisons get pretty hot in the summer. So how common is it for jails and prisons in the U.S. not to have air conditioning?
1: Yeah, so this is a great question and one that I hope to have a better answer to soon, right? So there's no public database on this, and it's actually pretty hard to get a good handle on this number. Um, So we know for sure in Mississippi, the state we study, that none of the prisons had air conditioning at the time of, of our study. We also know from the prison project that 13 famously hot states like Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Oklahoma, and so forth, don't have uh, air conditioning universally in their prisons. Texas, for example, has 30% of their prisons with some air conditioning. But really, I think the the southern belt where this matters the most, um, we don't have universal air conditioning in those prisons. And just for a little bit of background, you know, you might think that the main pushback to this is the costs. And it's partly that, but it's really cost plus, I think, political appetite. Like in some states like Louisiana, they estimated that it would cost about a quarter million to air condition the prison system, but the state spent over a million dollars in legal bills fighting air conditioning. Or, you know, there was a jail that could only be built after leaders promised that there wouldn't be air conditioning. So I think there's a challenge of both budget plus this sense that providing air conditioning can appear soft on crime, even though temperatures in the cells can get extremely hot, like well over 110, 120 degrees in hot weather.
0: Yeah. So I imagine there's, there's some sense that like, air conditioning is a luxury or something. And so you don't want the prisons to be cushy places to spend time.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. As we'll discuss, like these temperatures are actually dangerously hot. That's
1: right. And I think, you know, the fact that the Southern Belt does not have it, I think is quite compelling. And and I should mention that some courts like in Wisconsin, Arizona, Mississippi have ruled that incarceration in extremely hot or cold temperatures violates our Eighth Amendment rights to... to be free from cruel and unusual punishment. But it's difficult to actually enforce because jails and prisons fall under all kinds of different jurisdictions where it's not clear that they have to actually enact measures to to meet that requirement.
0: Yeah, it's interpreted differently in different places. Yes. So being stuck inside somewhere when it's really hot can obviously be miserable, uh, as we're discussing. Uh, But why might hot days affect the level of violence in these prisons?
1: Yeah, so this is a question in our paper, we don't get into too many mechanisms, in part because there's such a large biology and psychology and sociology literature on the various responses to heat. I think from that literature, so Rahini Mahendran and co-authors have a paper in The Lancet last year that summarizes some of these mechanisms nicely. I think there's two broad sets of mechanisms. One, and I think the main one, is the temperature aggression theory, which suggests that heat increases violence by increasing frustration, impulsivity, aggressivity. Like people say that heat might make you go into a fight-or-flight response, which you know, might result in violence. I think the other theory is the routine activity theory that changes in temperature might change your routines. Like in the prison environment, we might think maybe they don't go get physical activity those days or or something like that, which might create spaces for conflict or just, you know, the change in routine itself might create frustration that leads to violence.
0: And so what have we previously known about how heat affects violence?
1: Yeah. So there is, a, like I said, we're, we're building on a pretty deep literature here on the on that's documented the effects of aggression and violence. One of my favorite articles is uh, Craig Anderson has a helpful review article in Psych Science um, in 2001 that provides an overview of many studies. I think one of the studies there that many people find interesting is by Richard Larrick and co-authors, again, in Psychological Science about how baseball players exhibit greater hostility on hot days. I think, you know, within the crime literature, the most related to our work is this paper by Heilman, Kahn, and Tang in the Journal of Public Economics um, that came out last year. They use this detailed police report data from Los Angeles to show that, you know, police behavior changes for some crimes, but basically there is an increase in violent crimes on hot days and that neighborhood effects matter. Like basically in richer neighborhoods, we might see less of an effect than in poorer neighborhoods because there's more chances to avoid heat in the richer neighborhoods. You know, of course, you have work with Jonathan Comer showing that states with lenient gun laws exhibit higher rates of gun violence in response to heat. Building on this body of literature, there's all kinds of different contributors to it. One of my favorite papers is by Ted Miguel and co-authors. I think that one's interesting. It's a working paper because it's a, a lab experiment. It's a series of experiments in the U.S. and Kenya where they manipulate heat. And they show that as people play these different kind of games in in hot temperatures, people are more willing to actively destroy other people's assets when it's hot. So I think there's a lot of basis from these various literatures on the effect of heat and violence, and particularly on heat and crime, we know that there is a relationship from uh, some of these recent working papers and published papers.
0: Yeah, and one additional aspect that you all highlight in the paper that comes up in this conversation a lot is kind of the routine activities theory you were mentioning of basically the idea that like when it's warmer outside, people are more likely to go outside and more likely to interact with other people. So it's the increased likelihood of interactions is just sort of going to make conflict more likely. And that is something that is not a problem in your setting. And that makes prison a particularly interesting context to study. Do you want to say a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I mean I think when you know thinking about the prison data, you know, as as I mentioned earlier, I've been interested in prison policy, you know, in and of itself, but I think when Nick and I started working on this paper, we also realized that it does give us this opportunity to understand just how much mitigation and ad- like avoidance matters. Like because it is this unique setting where you really cannot mitigate heat or avoid heat, right? You can't decide to go outside more. You can't decide to have like air conditioning or right. something Stay like that. Stay right? inside
0: in the air conditioning and not talk to anybody. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's right. I mean, there are some things like there's ice water, you could buy a fan, I think, from the prison commissaries. So there's, there's some
0: <laughs> scope
1: for mitigation, but not a lot. Yeah. And so I think studying this relationship in this setting, you know, on the one hand, prison violence is important in and of itself. But on the other hand, it is a unique setting where people really are very, very resource constrained. So it might shed some light at an extreme for how, you know, violence might change in a setting where people just cannot do anything about it, right? You're just completely vulnerable to the environment and you can't buy anything that might help mitigate the heat or physically move away from the heat in any way.
0: Right. So the paper opens with a quote from Romeo and Juliet. It says, "'The day is hot, and if we meet, we shall not escape a brawl. For now, these hot days is the mad blood stirring.'" I love that. I think Nick does this in a lot of his papers. (laughs) (laughs) So the relationship here between heat and violence was hypothesized even by William Shakespeare centuries ago. But of course, establishing this causal link, which is the thing that you and I are interested in, is more difficult than it seems. So why is this not a super easy thing to do?
1: Sure, and I should say I do attribute putting the quote into Nick, <laughs> which is great, right? But the quote itself, I should say, Jillian Carr was actually our discussant at the oh. annual Economics Association uh, meetings when Nick was presenting, and she had that uh, quote in her oh, discussion, fantastic. and I think we were very inspired because we really, you know, in, in terms of thinking about the basis for this, right? What do we know about it? It's it's so old and known, right, that heat and violence have this intimate relationship, in terms of you know, why is the causal link hard to identify? You know, part of this is inspired by your own work with Jillian Carr, for example, right, where you show that temperature can drive both criminal activity, but also the observance of such activity, right? He can cause police to change their patrol behavior. Witnesses or victims may stay indoors. So it makes it harder, like not everything else is the same when it's hot. And so I think that makes it difficult to know this kind of uh, mental experiment of let's change heat and see how crime changes, right? If so many other things change, it's hard to know. And that's why I think prison, like uh, we were talking about earlier, is a really unique setting where at least the extreme acts of violence that we focus on are, you know, always observed. You're, You're in the whole point of prison in part is that you're observed, right, for every action that you take you know, there may be some changes in guard behavior, but by and large for these extreme acts of violence, we think they're all reported. We think people can't really go anywhere. They can't deal with the heat in any way. And so it provides a useful estimate to think about the effect of heat on violence that maybe is at least free from some of these common confounds that other papers have. And I think, especially when we think about vulnerable populations, that matters because these confounds are not evenly applied in society, right? So richer neighborhoods might have tree-lined streets, you know, that protect them from heat, other places may not. And so it's difficult when you study like neighborhood crime in response to heat, how evenly everybody is actually experiencing heat. Whereas in prisons, we can be quite sure about that experience
0: yeah I think even kind of bigger picture, I think you know the the really naive thing to do here would just be to say, compare violent crime in the summer with violent crime in the winter, and it's higher in the summer. But there are lots of things that are different about the summer. Kids are out of school. The days are longer, all kinds of things. And then, of course, you've got the data challenge here, and we'll talk more about the data you have in a moment, but being able to study something like violent incidents in prisons is not a super straightforward thing to do. Getting those kinds of data is really tough, right?
1: hmm Yeah. So, I mean, I think this data, so it started a very long time ago, my interactions with the Mississippi Department of Corrections, and I think you can get, you know, information on incidents in prison, but it's difficult to know the exact location of them because prisoners do move around a lot. I think more than most people appreciate within the prison system. Like it's not that you're just assigned to one prison and spend your whole sentence there. People move between different prisons and jails and correctional facilities over the course of their sentence. Um, So we have a lot of this detailed information about both the incident and importantly where the incident happened, which allows us to then back out the temperature in the location where the incident happened and whether that predicts that sort of behavior.
0: Okay, so you're going to use variation in daily temperatures in Mississippi, I guess, and specifically around different places in Mississippi as a natural experiment to measure the effects of heat on violence. So step us through how exactly you're doing this. So
1: we use variation in temperature across both time. We have seven years of data and across geography the state of Mississippi has quite a lot of variation in temperature just across the north and south and east and west and all over the state. I think, you know, the naive thing to do here would be to just estimate the effect of temperature on crime. But there's two things I think worth noting um, that we address in our analysis that that are important. Uh, First is we control for the time of year, which might sound obvious, but we know that across the year there's a lot of different effects that are unrelated to temperature. For example, we observe that around holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's big spikes in violence that are not because of temperature, but rather because of depression around holiday periods that we control for. The other thing that we control for in the analysis is that we know that in the background, many other things are changing over time that we can't see or observe, like prisons getting a new warden or maybe changes in the composition of gangs in that prison over time. And so to make sure we're getting those background effects, we allow for each prison in the analysis to have its own effect over time. And I think with these two sets of controls, along with controlling for rain, for example, which we know changes the experience of heat, we feel quite confident that we are capturing then the effect of these unusually hot days on violence.
0: Okay, so let's talk more about these neat data that you have. What are the data that you were able to get from Mississippi for this analysis?
1: Yeah, so I'll talk mostly about the crime data because the temperature data is a, I think, very much <laughs> a mixed space, but also, you know, I think much more publicly available. And so mm-hmm. that is um, data that is available at the county level, you know, over time quite reliably. Um, But the prison data is, I think, what's really unique here. And there uh, we have information at the incident level. So what that means is that for each write-up, each conduct violation that a prisoner gets while in behind bars, we see uh, the nature of that write-up. So we see things like refusing to obey orders from a guard, possessing contraband to these extreme acts of violence like assaulting or killing somebody, which is what we focus on. And that data is recorded at the at the date level so we know the exact day that it occurred and uniquely uh, we also know the location in which it occurred and so having that information allows us to basically gather information on the number of violent incidents that happen at each location per day so that we can then uh, combine it with weather data to understand the effect of temperature on these extreme acts of violence
0: great and so, which outcomes are you most interested in here?
1: Yeah, so like I said, we see a lot of different types of conduct violations, right? Mm-hmm. So we focus very much on extreme acts of violence. And the main category here is killing or assaulting anyone. We also have fighting, except for self-defense, and then assaults that result in any serious physical injury. So this would be different from other forms of assaults or you know, other forms of physical threats or even things like arson. We focus very much on these extreme acts of violence in part because, you know, that's where a lot of the theory is around the effect of heat on violence. It's on these extreme acts of violence, but also, you know, for the reporting issue, because we think that these extreme acts are much more likely to be reported than uh, potentially other forms of violence, which might go unnoticed or at least unwritten
0: also hot for the guards. And so the guards are sort of just like trying not to move. Maybe it's not worth it to write up some minor infraction, but for these like really violent events, they really don't have a choice. They've got to write it up. Exactly. Okay. All right. So tell us a bit more about the prisons in your sample since you've got these cool data. How large are they on average? What are we thinking about there and where are they located in the state?
1: Yeah, so it's it's a great question because there is a lot of uh, variation, right, in in the prison system. So we have facilities really all across the state, you know. And in, in part, this is the way prisons are designed to be within a state, right? They're they're meant to represent the different areas. So there's there's prisons and jails in in many of the areas of the state. In terms of the actual sizes, right? So we have about three large public prisons, five others. Still large, but somewhat smaller private prisons, and then a whole set of regional jails and correctional facilities. So we have 36 facilities in total. We'll call them prisons because they all host or at least have prisoners in them, of which I would say eight are really large, and many others are an assembly of a couple hundred to to even smaller in size.
0: Okay, great. And how common are violent incidents in these facilities?
1: Yeah, so as you might expect, you know, we see more violence in the largest facilities. So let me first talk about the whole system, which has about 20,000 inmates at any given point. You know, given our definition of violence as being these very extreme acts of violence, like nearly killing somebody or or assaulting somebody and in a very serious way, we see about 3.5 of those per day in the system on average. So for the biggest prisons, we might think that's around 200 per year. To give you some sense of how prevalent these are.
0: And what are typical temperatures like in these facilities? How common are the hot days that you're going to be focusing on?
1: Sure. So the hot days we have, you know, we're defining them in the paper as days averaging 80 degrees or more, which doesn't sound very hot, but I just want to remind people that a day, you know, these are 24-hour averages, so it includes daytime highs of 90 to 100 degrees outside. It's usually in the mid to upper 90s, which means it can easily be 110 or more inside the prisons. And, and, you know, night times of maybe 70, 80 degrees on average. So we see when we look at these hot days as we've defined them, In the total Mississippi area, they're quite prevalent. It's about 17% of our data falls in this category. Um, There's a lot of variation by, by region, as you would expect. So I think it ranges from about one out of 10 days in the cooler regions of the state to one out of four days in the hotter southern parts of the state.
0: All right. Let's talk about what you find. What is the effect of hot days on violent incidents in Mississippi prisons?
1: Sure. So I'll give you the headline result, right? So, in general, there's a 5% chance if you just looked across all facilities all years of an extreme act of violence on a given day. But if it's a really hot day, that increases to over 6%. Uh, so that 5 to over 6% may not seem like a very large change, but you know, it's about 20% higher than normal. And you could think about it as instead of a violent act happening, you know, one in every 20 days, it's happening one in every 17 days. Um, so we think this is a really meaningful increase in violence that's attributable to heat in the prison system.
0: So what does that mean in terms of how many violent incidents are there extra each year because of these hot days?
1: Sure. So based on our findings, we find that this unmitigated exposure to heat generates an additional 44 cases of extreme violence in Mississippi alone, in the prison system of Mississippi alone.
0: Okay. Yeah. And these are extreme violent acts. Again, these are not just sort of scuffles. These are costly.
1: Yeah. I mean, many of these, you know, they combine assault with killing in part because many of these assaults, if it weren't for self-defense could have resulted in killing. Mm -hmm. So we should think about these as, you know, borderline murder incidents. So it's, it's quite extreme, these acts of violence.
0: Yeah. So you run a bunch of additional tests to check the robustness of these main results and to dig into the effects of heat on behavior a little bit more, maybe pick one or two of your favorite checks and tell us uh, what they, what they show.
1: Sure. I mean, I think in some cases these checks keep some questions for future work as well. One question that we got a lot as we presented this paper was about cumulative effects. Like, you know, is it that people maybe cannot sleep on hot days and that builds up over time? And Or is it that, you know, it's the fifth day of a heat wave that generates violence, but maybe not the first day. And so we did a test where we looked at, you know, leads of hot days. So we looked at, you know, was it hot the day before, two days before, three days before, and so forth. And thinking that we might find some effects of heat on these kind of precursor days. But we find that the effect of heat on violence is really quite isolated to the day itself, which is consistent with some of these biological underpinnings of these fight or flight responses, you know, which wouldn't necessarily translate between days, but would occur on the day itself. So I think that's one check that we find quite important for the mechanisms. Another thing we did to address, you know, that it isn't, for example, a specific day in a month that is related to violence, like for example, you might think on July 15th of a month is when new prisoners always show up that day, or there's always a change that time of year in in leadership or something in the prisons. We wanted to make sure that we're capturing something about temperature and, and not other factors, right? So what we did is we took all of the observations and gathered them up by prison and month, and we replaced the temperature on, let's say, a July day with any other July day from that prison, and we don't find any effects when we do that type of a, a, a test. And so, again, really just giving us more confidence that it's not something else going on on these days when we observe violence, but rather the, the extreme temperature itself.
0: hmm and so, what are the policy implications of these results? What should policymakers and practitioners listening to this take away from your findings?
1: Yeah, I mean, this paper you know is extremely motivated uh, to to try and inform policy. You know, like I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, there's these many sources of undesired variability in the criminal justice system, and especially prison system. And I think temperature control is one way to reduce that, to make prisons less violent from at least one known source. Um so we you know have heard um, through different policy and media discussions that the commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Corrections just recently made a decision to air condition at least the state's largest prison to start. Parchment with a commitment to air condition the rest of the state's prisons. And so we're really happy to hear that there's some movement, at least in temperature control for prisons, given the large effects on violence.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could imagine also that there could be, so there are obviously some cost to the air conditioning, but there are also potential cost savings down the road, not just in terms of the violence that is avoided in the prisons themselves, which obviously is costly to the people involved, but that could result in new prison sentences for the the perpetrators and maybe increased recidivism later. And so all of that winds up being really costly to society. I bet it cancels out, at least to some extent.
1: I think that's right. And so I think there's certainly this kind of uh, a cost-based reason to air condition these, which I think previously was underappreciated, mm-hmm. but I think again, just thinking about you know when a judge hands you a sentence for seven years, you know, to two different people, just the fact that one person ends up going to a prison that's not air conditioned versus somebody who goes to one that is, mm-hmm. the system is not intended to be harsher on the person who ends up going to the one that's not air conditioned, yet it is, right? And so I think finding ways to at least equalize the experience of punishment is also something that we should be willing to pay for.
0: Mm -hmm. And as you said at the beginning, I mean, with climate change, being incarcerated in Mississippi prison maybe several decades ago, it wasn't that hot, but this is going to become an increasing problem as we move forward.
1: That's right. And a lot of these prisons are also very old, right? They don't mm-hmm. have the most modern infrastructure. So I think the, you know, we in our study are only able to look at ambient temperature because that's naturally what is recorded. But there is a difference between the temperature outside and what is experienced inside the prison, right? And that could vary for all kinds of reasons. You know, Of course, temperature control is a big one, but, but also just how thick the walls are, what materials are used, what the airflow is. And mm-hmm. so I think especially in states like Mississippi and really most of the U.S. prison system, has many of these very old buildings that need to be retrofitted or redesigned to deal with climate change.
0: Yeah. Have any other papers related to this topic come out since you all first started working on this study?
1: Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of interest in the effect of heat on crime, right? So I think one, you know, the Heilman, Khan, and Tang paper that we uh, that I mentioned earlier came out around the same time. Another paper that came out uh, right around the same time, so we view these as contemporaneous, like, you know, is, is this paper by Bayer and Bellotny on on adapting to heat in the Texas criminal justice system. And they show that, you know, arrests go up by 15 percent on hot days. One aspect of their paper that I find really interesting is that they find that judges, particularly when they work alone, are more harsh on these hot days compared to when they're working in teams. So I think, you know, we've talked to those authors quite a bit about our paper. So it's been uh, very productive to share kind of our insights on on each other's papers. But that's a paper that I think is certainly very much in, in our literature that is new.
0: Interesting. And then what's the research frontier here? What do you think the next big questions are in this area that you and others will be thinking about going forward?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot, you know, still to do, as you always say. And I think, you know, it's true. (laughs) I think, you know, from this project, one of my takeaways has been just that we need to understand so much more about violence, health and self-harm and suicide in prisons. When we think about prisons, you know, we need to remember that being sent there to be locked up is the punishment itself, right, both to keep society safe and to deter other people from crime. But being sent to conditions that make people victims of violence or or have long-term effects on their health are not supposed to be part of the prison sentence, especially, you know, when they're so unequal across people and time. So to give you some perspective on, on the violence in prisons, in 2018, I think it was one in six prison deaths were deemed to be unnatural, right? So the result of some kind of violence or or unexpected death, And a lot of this is due to a massive increase in suicide. There's been an 85% increase in suicide over the last 20 years. So I think for me and my co-author, Nick Sanders, one question that we find very important that also comes up when we share this work with colleagues is this role of self-violence and suicide as a result of heat. So our Mississippi data, unfortunately, don't have a lot of that information, but we're right now... So I think we've collected data from the Louisiana prison system, which has cause of death uh, for several years, including date, location, so we can potentially link temperature to that. But I think just generally building knowledge about the prison experience and particularly on violence and and mental health and suicide is, is really important.
0: My guest today has been Anita Mukherjee from the University of Wisconsin. Anita, thank you so much for talking with me.
1: Sure. Thank you again for having me and allowing me to share this research.
0: You can find links to all the research we discussed today on our website, probablecausation.com. You can also subscribe to the show there or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Big thanks to Emergent Ventures for supporting the show. And thanks also to our Patreon subscribers and other contributors. Probable Causation is produced by Doliac Initiatives, a 501c3 nonprofit so all contributions are tax deductible. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us via Patreon or with a one-time donation on our website. Please also consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps others find the show, which we very much appreciate. Our sound engineer is John Kerr with production assistance from Nefertari El Sheik. Our music is by Werner and our logo was designed by Carrie Throckmorton. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you in two weeks.